Good morning. It's always a pleasure and an honor to be up here with you. Um, everybody should have a handout. If you don't have a handout, I've got just a couple more right over here. I think I made just enough for everybody to have one. Um, but if you don't have one, we've got one for you. Turn in your handout to chapter 3. I'm just kidding. This is going to be a long one, Barry. Buckle up. Be ready. I, I was um, praying about what the Lord wanted me to share with you this morning, and, and it, it just stuck with me last week's uh, Sunday school teaching. And, and I just I couldn't get it out of my, my spirit. And so I knew it was going to be an extension of that. And then I, I turned on um, Sunday school this morning. And, and so let me pause real quick and just encourage you. If you are not attending Sunday school, I highly encourage you to, to do so. I know it's, it's early for many people. It's difficult for us to get there because of, of the chaos of the morning. Uh, but we definitely have it on. So if you don't come, please make sure that you're at least turning it on on the live stream. It is available on the live stream live because it's live stream. Uh, it is available live, and, and you can get the handouts and all the resources online uh, and follow along. Uh, but I highly encourage you to do that. This morning's uh, session, the training was, was wonderful. Uh, I thought she was going to preach my message for a minute, and, and then she went off into a different direction, which I was thankful for. Um, but but it, was, it was a confirmation of what the Lord is, is sharing with me and, and will be sharing with you here in a minute. But I, I turned it on, and, and as she began to speak, um, the Lord just began to confirm things for me. So I'm going to give you a little taste of what I spoke on last week because it's, it's pertinent to what we're going to talk about today. And, and it's found at the top of your sheet. It's, it's a little cheat sheet for you. I went into a lot more depth last week in Sunday school. If you haven't heard that, um, it's in the archives. You're, you're free to go and listen to it again and again and again. Um, I did a similar teaching um, three months ago. That's usually when I speak, around three months. So about three months ago was similar. It, it's got some of the same um, flavor, if you will. And, and so I, I encourage you to, to listen to that as well. But really what it is, it's a deep dive into the Hebrew language and that uh, the, the letters represent uh, or have meaning in that language. Unlike our language, our letters are just letters and those words have meaning. With the Hebrew language, it's a, it's a very pictorial language. Um, hieroglyphic, if you will, and, and it's, it represents something. So every letter in their alphabet represents something. And, and what I was teaching on last week was the spirit, the word spirit. And, and it shows up in, in several different iterations. Um, the first one is, is the second one that's there, which is ruach. And, and it means smell. It's the root word where we get the word spirit. So if you read, as you're reading scripture in the Old Testament specifically, in the Hebrew language, um, that word ruach means smell or breath, and it's represented by these three characters, the resh, the yod, and the chet. The, some people say chet, but it's chet. So those three letters represent something, uh, and then together they form that word. And, and really what it's talking about is, is this breathing this breath that's coming in and out, the chamber of the lungs, you'll see the word chamber there, uh, coming out from the head, and then it's an activity type, type thing. The word spirit has the same characters, um, but that second letter is the word, or the letter, wow, and it represents nail or binding or establishment. And so we get from the word breath or smell or breathing or smelling, we get this word spirit, which is an establishment of that thing. So it's, it's not something that is dynamic anymore. It's something that's been established, something that's come upon you. So, so in the Hebrew language, we get these words, ruach and ruach. 
That's the, the smell and the spirit. And I, like, like I said, I latched on to that and said, Lord, what, what, do you, what more can be said of this? And, and he began to, to impress upon me um, this study that we're going to go through. And we're going to start here with the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'll start in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 10, While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came to Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. I went down this rabbit hole um, as I've been studying Hebrew and, and Greek and the languages. I've been down this different path of uh, church history. It's a fascinating subject. I'm kidding. It's not that fascinating. Uh, it's an interesting subject, though, to see where we came from. And, and if you don't know, I'm going to give you a quick, quick glimpse. I promise you it won't be that boring. Uh, it will be boring, but it won't be that boring. Uh, a quick glimpse into church history, as we all know, we have these, these forefathers, right? The apostles and Jesus, and Jesus training them, and the apostles coming together. And then from that, we get this line of succession for the apostles and, and their leading of the church. A couple of, of months ago, I spoke here uh, in, on Sunday about Paul and Peter getting to, into an argument. You remember this? We talked about Peter and Paul getting into an argument, and Paul saying, Peter, you're, you're too structured. You're, you're focused too much on circumcision and the law. You're focused too much on what people have to do and less focused on the relationship that you should have as an individual with Jesus Christ. That's really what the gospel is all about. The good news of, hey, I'm, I'm here to save you because there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Do you remember this? We talked about this. Peter and Paul fighting and, and them coming to this understanding at Peter coming to the understanding that, yes, you're right. It is about Jesus. But, but what we see in the life of Peter is him going down this, what, what is termed high church, very, very structured church, very, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but very religious, very um, ecumenical, very ritual based and from that came the catholic church very structured right you sit up you stand up you say some things you sit down and you listen you stand up and you say some things and you sit down and you repeat back and forth and they have many of the things that we do with communion uh with singing they have all these things but it's very high very strict church and then as you go down the line, I won't go through all of it, because I, like I said, it is kind of boring, fascinating for me, but very boring. You go down this line of, of Lutheran, Methodist, Pentecostal, and all the movements that came out of this high church. And, and it's interesting to see the graph of the churches and how they came to be. And, and then you talk about Martin Luther and the, the 95 Thesis on the Wall. You talk about the Lutherans and... and uh, you, the, the Assemblies of God and how we came out, and then the Azusa Street Revival. It, it's interesting, met the Methodists, to, to see all of these church bodies and how they came to be based on this high church. So from all of that came this concept of low church. And low church, all it means is it's very, or I should say it's less strict, a lot less strict than the high church. Consider our church. It is a low church. We have worship, but it's not a strict worship. It used to be. You remember when it used to be, right? A certain time it was done. Uh, there was times where pastor would speak, and, and if he went pa a minute past 12 o'clock, people were upset. It was a, a kind of high-ish, a middle church, we'll call it, because uh, it wasn't as strict as the Catholic, but we were definitely in the, the more ritualistic area, and, and we are now, I believe, a very low, low church. We, we have things that we do, but we're not, they're not set in stone. We follow the leading of the Spirit. We have prophetic worship. And, and I'm not arguing that high church versus low church, one is better than the other. You know, to each his own. If you feel like you need that in your relationship 
to be very strict and structured. Uh, when you go to church, God bless you. Go, go and find a church that is that. We happen to not be that, and that's okay. So it really depends on the individual. Um, we, we, like I said, are, are, are a low church in that we don't have all of these things that we have to do. We do things that we feel are necessary for our relationship, but it's not forced upon anybody. You, you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a relationship with God, and you move forward in that relationship through this building and the community that we've built in this place. So as I'm thinking about that and seeing this structure and how it's all falling into place, the thing that I think is highlighted the most, the, the lower down you get into high church versus low church, the thing that you start to see as the main differentiator between the high church and the low church is the Spirit. All the churches believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The lower churches, those who, who subscribe to this concept of, of oh, I guess, more freedom, are, are what we see in them is the Spirit. And, and the, I would say the line of demarcation between a, a higher church and a lower church is around the Methodists. They, they are the ones who really started this push for knowing the Spirit of God. Now, now they, in more modern times, I think are a little bit more higher church than they used to be. But out of the Methodist church, in case you didn't know this, came the Assemblies of God. As they started to lean in in the Spirit, people came across out of that and said, there's got to be more. And they started to dive into Scripture and say, what does the Scripture say about the Spirit? We're going to read some of this here in a second. But they started to dive into what is the Spirit saying? How does the Spirit work? We need to go back to the basics of the Bible and really read it. And we're going to do that here. Because the gift that God has given us is the Holy Spirit. In, in lieu of God being in the room, in lieu of Jesus being present in the room, he gave us the Holy Spirit. In fact, he says it. We'll probably read it, right? Where he says, I'm going to send you somebody to take my place, and this, this somebody's going to be with you at all times. In order to get to that place, what happens is we go through a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So follow along here. Still on page one, halfway down, the baptism, Acts chapter 19. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they began to speak with tongues, and they prophesied. Interesting story. Paulus was at Corinth. Paul's passing through the upper coast. He's coming into Ephesus. I won't give you a ge geography lesson, but, but if you can kind of picture where he's going, he's going up the coast. He's traveling around. He's meeting all these people. The, the word of God had spread. The gospel of Jesus had spread. But before the gospel of Jesus had spread, the gospel of John had spread. And that gospel was repentance. You guys are not where you need to be in relationship with the Lord. You need to move forward. You need to repent for all your sins and, and stop with religion and start with relationship. That's what John was preaching. And he kept saying, there's going to come one after me who will save your souls. And they started to believe these things. And so they were baptized in the name of John. John, we believe, essentially. John, we believe what you're saying. We agree with you. And so we are baptized under the baptism of John. And, and what Paul is telling them is, look, there's more. What John was saying is that there's going to come someone else and you need to be baptized under them, which is Jesus Christ. And they were like, yes, we agree. Let's do that. So they did that. And then he says, there's even more. And that baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and as the, the assemblies of God, pre-assemblies of God people read this, they said, we need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. 
coming out of Methodism, we recognize that the spirit is important because Methodists were all into spirit. But they, but they weren't all in to everything about the spirit. So what they did is they said, we're going we're gonna to cut the line right here. We're going to say that there is a spirit and we need to be spiritual people. We need to be spirit led. But they cut the line right here and, and what the, the people separated out of and became the assemblies of God and then later the Kojic church and, and church of God. What they said was there's more to the spirit than what the Methodist church is teaching us. So they prayed and they read and they prayed and they read. And at one point, they began to speak in other tongues as the Bible led them, just like here in Acts chapter 19. They reread the book of Acts, and they said, look what it's saying. There's a pattern here of any time somebody says you've been filled with the Spirit, something happens. In fact, we read that a lot in Scripture where it does not say they spoke in tongues. What it says is that they were filled with the Spirit and people recognized that they were filled with the Spirit. How do you know if someone is filled with the Spirit? Just by looking at them. You really can't. It's, it's not like there's a glow on us, right? Those of us who are filled with the Spirit, our eyes don't shine, right? There's not this halo on us. It's, it's a spiritual thing that happens within. But what the Bible was saying is when the Spirit came upon them, they began to speak in tongues. And that's how people knew that they were filled with the Spirit. And they recognized this, these, these early church fathers, they recognized this, and they said, we need to do that. And so they prayed, and they read, and they prayed, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues, and out of that came the assemblies of God. And it started out as a low church. I think it started getting higher and higher. And at some point, they, they are doing what they're doing, and it's, it's a great denomination. God bless them. We came out of that and said, there's even more. And I'm going to talk to you about that even more because it's what we've been doing for the last some odd years. What I highlighted here for you, it's on your sheet, are two things. They began to speak in tongues and they prophesied. Those are two things that they did, spoke in tongues and prophesied. And they're two very different things. And they're two very important things for us to recognize. 1 Corinthians 14, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him. Howbeit in the spirit he is speaking mysteries. But he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies who? Himself. But he that prophesies edifies who? The church. That's the difference. I would that you all spoke with tongues to edify yourself, but rather that you prophesied, that you edified the church. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edification or edifying the two differences or the two things that the holy spirit does when it comes upon us is it comforts us and it brings the anointing you'll see those two headings here on your cheat we're going to talk about those two headings you speak in tongues to edify or comfort yourself and then you prophesy to edify the church because there's anointing upon you we're going to see this differentiation here. The comforter is for you. Jesus said, I'm going to send you the comforter. Look at John chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells, it's the Greek word meno, he dwells with you and shall be in you. It's an interesting word, Mino is. We're going to talk about dwell. The title of my message is dwell. We're going to talk about dwell a little bit later on. But I wanted to highlight this word um, because it basically means hang out. Whenever you see this word in scripture, Mino, it's, it's translated as dwell. And it's essentially two beings that are together. They're hanging out. They're, they're working together. They're moving together. 
that's what this word dwell means in this context. It, it will come upon you. You'll be hanging out together. But you know him for he hangs out with you and shall be in you. John chapter 14, verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I love that. Look at, look at what it's really saying here. I'm with you right now. So when you have an issue or a problem, you come to me and we talk about it. And we have this discourse. We have this dialogue. We discuss what's going on in your life. And I, Jesus, am able to share with you, here's what, what the Lord wants for all of us. And he began to build disciples in this way. And he began to, to share with them. He built this community of, of apostleship and, and moving forward and the tip of the spear. And, and these guys are with him and he's talking to them. And they're at some point in time, they're thinking, what's going to happen when Jesus leaves? Because we're learning everything about the Lord, God, Yahweh, from him. What's going to happen when Jesus leaves? And, I, and Jesus knows that they're thinking this way. And so he tells them, look, all of these things that I've talked to you about, these things I have spoken unto you, being with you, is great. And I know you're worried about it. But the comforter, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send, he will begin to teach you and bring all these things to your remembrance. This is the comforter. This is for you. For you. The Holy Ghost is for you. When, when you are lacking in something, the Holy Ghost comes to fill you. Think about the things that we lack. Patience, joy, love. In fact, what's that next scripture right there? Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I've, I've told you time and time again from this pulpit, the fruit of the Spirit is for you. It's for you. It's how you respond to those external uh, circumstances. You respond with love. You respond with peace. You respond with joy, gentleness, patience, goodness, meekness. The, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, comes upon you and gives you these things. It injects it inside of you. It, it dwells upon you. And, and as Jesus dwelt with the disciples and walked with them, the Holy Spirit dwells and walks alongside us. The Holy Spirit is necessary, necessary for you to have this Christian walk. Because without him, it becomes a ritual. It becomes high church. It becomes just an action that you're performing. And, and I'm, not, I'm not bashing those, those denominations in any way, shape, or form but it, it becomes rote. It becomes a thing where you're just doing it. We were, we were at our doctor the other day, and I think Kelly and I both recognized this. In fact, she brought it up in conversation where uh, our doctor was examining uh, big boy Levi and, and his, his massive trunk, and, and we were talking about how he's not talking yet, and, um, but how stout he is. And, and we were talking about, you know, plans and what should we do and who do we need to talk to about all this. And, and he's looking at him. And, and, and as he's talking to us, he said something. What did he say? He said, um, I gave up social media for Lent. Just in passing, I, I gave up social media for Lent. And, and it is very, it is high churches that, that follow this idea of Lent, right? Catholics, Episcopal uh, Lutheran, they have this idea of I'm going to give up something for, for a week or, or whatever. During this very specific time, we give it up, um, and then we come back into a place of, of repentance and forgiveness and, and all this good stuff. It's, it's, it's ritualistic. But we both recognized that the doctor said this, and, and we, we were both astonished. Um, we did not know that he was a, a religious man, Right? And, and as we talked about it some more, I, I don't know his life. I'm not judging him in any way. But, but what I said was he probably attends some sort of Episcopalian, Lutheran, maybe Catholic church. And, and it's probably something that's a part of his life. But, but I don't necessarily um, 
see him as a spiritual man. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? I, I don't see him that way, right? And I'm not saying that he isn't, because I, I don't know. Well, he haven't talked about it. I haven't sat there and, and discussed pneumatikos with him. But it was interesting to hear, to hear him say that, and that's, that's really what the meat of this is talking about when we think about the high church and the ritualistic and things that people do. You know people like this in, in your circles, people who go to church to go to church, people who go to church to say, I've been to church, or to say that, yes, I believe in, that there is something out there, but I don't necessarily have a relationship with it. I, I'm going to this place because, hey, if, if there is going to be something at the end of this rainbow, then I want to make sure I'm on the right side of it. You know some of these people. And, and, and again, we're not bashing or, or denigrating them. We're just saying this, those people exist. That is not us. It's not what we believe, right? The comforter is there to give you that next level of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness for you to be edified, for you. The second part of that is the anointing, the prophesying. In Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To who? The poor. To who? To somebody else. Not for me, for somebody else. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Look at this one, 1 Corinthians 12, where, whereas the fruit of the Spirit is, is for you, I believe, the, the gifts of the Spirit are the prophecy that for somebody else. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit without, with all, outside of you, to profit others. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit, to another faith, to another the gifts of healing. Who are you healing? Other people. To another, the working of miracles, who's performing the miracle for someone else. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. We're going to talk about that one. To another, the interpretation of those tongues. But all these work that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. I want to study this part a little bit more, this diverse tongues. Because diverse tongues has been a part of our lives for a very long time now. And, and it's something that we activate and move in. And, and it's interesting to see it in this context, not, not just in this context of the scripture, but in the context of this message, because when we think about diverse tongues, uh, I have always seen it as something that, it, that allows me to grow, right? We, we talked, when we first started talking about diverse tongues, we said you get a tongue when you're filled with the spirit, and then when you move in, in a, your relationship and grow, you stop, like Levi, saying, blah, 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 and start saying, daddy, mommy, more, food, right? And then you grow out of that, and you start saying, mommy and daddy, I want some food. You start putting in verbs and adverbs and prepositions, and you learn these things, right? But your language doesn't start with, stop with, blah, 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 blah. It continues, and we learn. And with diverse tongues, it was that continuation. But in this context, as I started to read it, and again, I want to study this some more. If the gifts are the spirit, are, are the anointing of God upon you for other people, then why would the diverse tongues be in here? Is it for us or is it for other people? And then the Lord gave me this, this scripture. I'm not gonna, it's not on your sheet, uh, but it's 1 Corinthians 9, somewhere around verse 19. You can find it. You can write it down. But what, is, what does he say? He says, I became all things to all people that I might save some. That is the basis of diverse tongues. It's not just you continuing to grow in your language. It's you continuing to grow in your relationship and your understanding of the situation that you are in. Man, think about how powerful that is and why we speak in tongues when we go to other nations. Because if you're speaking in, in the spirit, you're edifying yourself. But when you're speaking in, in diverse tongues in a new nation, you're activating things. What has happened? Man, I'm getting excited. What has happened when, when we are in, in specific places and we're speaking in diverse tongues 
and speaking different languages. Why, why are we doing that? We're not edifying ourselves at that point in time. What are we doing? We're elevating the nations. Remember that time where pastors started speaking in, in a different language and someone came up to him and said, hey, I, you were speaking Chinese or Swahili or whatever it was. And they, they were edified by that instance, not pastor. They were, because they, were, they, they heard a different tongue that they understood. Think about the first time that the apostles were speaking in tongues. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, as it came upon them, they were speaking in tongues, and people from outside started hearing their language. And they said, wow, these, these people are they're from my town and city. No, 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 they're from my town and city. They're speaking my language. And they started to hear these things. And what happened? They were saved. So for, for Paul, I'm sorry, for the apostles, Peter and the apostles, they were edified. They were strengthened. They were emboldened by the Holy Spirit. But the diverse tongues in the ears of the people outside of that room, it edified them. That's why diverse tongues is a gift of the Spirit, because it edifies others. Except that you interpret, it says. So when you speak in tongues, unless you're interpreting, right, it's better for you to prophesy. Because a prophecy is the Spirit of God coming upon you and you being able to say to so-and-so, I feel the Lord is saying X, right? X, Y, Z, this is what God is doing in your life. And, and then you begin to grow from that, from that situation. Diverse tongues is you doing that in the Spirit. And you don't know who or what is listening. When you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. When you speak in, in diverse tongues, you are activating, what his pastor said, activating mysteries. You are turning things on that were previously off that the Lord is going to activate and push inside of this church. That's what the anointing is for. You go through and you comfort yourself with the Holy Spirit, but then you're anointed to go and comfort others. You become the comfort to others. What did we ju where did just, we just read that? 1 Corinthians 14, 3. It's on that first page. But he that prophesies speaks unto men, edification, exhortation, and you become a comfort to others. Let me take a breath. And that's good stuff. That's good stuff. 1 John chapter 2. But the anointing which you have received of him abides, mino, in you. And you need not that any man teach you. Why? Why don't I need someone to teach me? Because the Holy Spirit is teaching you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. You shall abide in him. So it brings us to... The last page, we have one more verse here, but the last page, Romans, verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 8. So, then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That's simple stuff, right? If you're in the flesh, you're not in the spirit, so you're not able to please God. But you are not in the flesh. Hey, you're not. You are not in the flesh. But in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Third page, last page. That word dwell is the word Enoikeo, enokeo. There's the Greek letter, um, I'm sorry, um, number, Strong's number, if you want to look it up. There's the transliteration of it. There's the roots in and, and 3611, which means home. It means to inhabit. It means to dwell in one and influence him or her for good. And that number five represents how many times it shows up in Scripture. Only five times. And Oikano shows up only five times. We're going to read them real quick because I want you to see the context of what this word dwell in you really means. It's one thing to have comfort. It's one thing to have the anointing. 
But in order to have these things, the, the Spirit of God needs to dwell inside of you. I have been pointing out this whole time that the, the word abide and the word dwell can be and have been translated from the word mino, which means to hang out. They can be. This is not that word. This does not mean hang out together. Second Corinthians chapter 6. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God hath said, I will dwell, enoikeno, enoikeo, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is a, a, a quoting of scripture in scripture um, from Paul. He's quoting Ezekiel. I've put it there for you. Ezekiel chapter 37, 27. It's said in other places, but, but I liked this one a lot. My tabernacle also, also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. My tabernacle also shall be with them. You are that tabernacle. Remember that scripture, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? That's what this is talking about. This is, this is where God dwells. What was the tabernacle? The tabernacle was that location where um, the, the Jews could get together and worship God and had a place for God, a standing place for God. He was in the building, and you had to go through all sorts of things to be able to get in the building. You had to sacrifice. You had to be purified. You had to wash yourself. There was, there was um, blood sacrifice and sprinkling. I'm not going to go through all of it. We've taught on it before. And if you need more lesson on that, we've got plenty of stuff. But, but all the things that a person had to go through to just get into the doors of the tabernacle uh, were huge, very ritualistic, very prescribed, and you had to do these things or else you were not allowed. And the reason you were not allowed, because you would die. You would die. So they said, you've got to do all these things before you can even get into the tabernacle because that is where God is. And in fact, there was a place, the Holy of Holies, where you weren't even allowed unless you were a high, high priest. You were somebody if you were going into the Holy of Holies. And, and they, it, there's an there's a, there's a idea that, we don't know if this is true, that they would tie a rope around these individuals as they went into the Holy of Holies in case they were with sin and their body fell to the ground and died, they could pull them back out because, hey, I'm not going in there after him if he's dead. So they would pull them out with this rope because the Holy of Holies was where the presence of God was. You are where the presence of God is. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord dwells in you and it's not hangs out with. It's home. This word literally means in home, in your dwelling place, in your abode. Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The word of Christ, let it dwell in you. Second Timothy 1, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep it by the Holy Ghost, which dwells in us which was committed unto you. How was, it, how was it committed unto them? We're going to see this here in, in 2 Timothy uh, 1.5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also, wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So the disciples were going around, they were preaching the gospel, moving people from repentance to relationship, from relationship to being filled with the Holy Spirit, and the way that they were doing this, they were laying on hands. We were laying our hands upon you, and when we did that, you were filled with the Holy Ghost, you began to speak in tongues, you began to prophesy, 
just like it was with your grandmother and Eunice, Lois and Eunice. We should do a TV show about that, Lois and Eunice. They, were, they had this in them, these women of faith and power. They had it in them. You don't, don't tell me that the Bible doesn't, doesn't support women. These women were called out and said they're prayer warriors. They're interceding. They're, they're showing the fullness of the Holy Spirit because they've got it dwelt inside of them. And it all comes to this culmination here. So those were the five scriptures. Romans chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 6, Colossians 3, and then second, twice in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Luke chapter 11. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no, 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 no I'm sorry. Let me pause. Let me, let, me, let me go back. So Jesus is going around, and he's healing people, and he's casting out demons. And, and at one point in time, he's, he's somewhere, and he casts out this demon. And, and the people who are there on looking, they say, that's amazing. How's he doing this? And, and some begin to say, I bet he's doing this through the power of Beelzebub. He is the king of demons, and so he's just basically telling his people, hey, go away for a second so I can, I can be puffed up and showmanship and magic and all sorts of stuff. So they're, they're calling Jesus out and saying, you're, you're a devil. You're, you're a demon. You're the king of demons. You're casting these, these, demon, these lower demons out in the name of the higher demon, Beelzebub. And, and Jesus says, that makes no sense whatsoever, guys. It is illogical. It's irrational to even think that way. And, and here's why. Because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. If, if the top dog is, is pushing down his, his little minions, that kingdom's not going to last. It's not going to last. And he says that to him. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, with the finger of God, not with devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is upon you. When a strong man, armed, keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. Let me translate that real quick. When, when you have a home and, and you have strength, right, when you are fortified and prepared, there's peace because you know what you're fortified against, right? You've built your fence, You've got all your little uh, weapons of warfare ready, and, and you feel like you're good to go. But, verse 22, when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he takes away from him all his armor, wherein he trusted and divides his spoils. So if, if someone that is stronger than that strong man who's keeping the house comes in and, and starts to tear things down, there's nothing you can do about it because this one is stronger. And what is he really talking about here? He's really talking about theology he's really talking about mindset he's really talking about look you you have in you a a perceived strength of what you believe but when someone comes in and says nope that's not the way it works and here's why scripture 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 and tears all these things down and starts to divide what you really believe into all these different areas then you're left without it's tearing those things down so jesus in this in this instance would be the stronger man he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scatters. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walks through the dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he says, I will return into my house whence I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and garnished. Then goes he and takes him to seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. It's an interesting scripture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to translate it here in a second. But it's an interesting scripture. Because, because on the surface, and this is how Jesus spoke, and, and I hope you recognize that. And on the surface, he's, he's talking about homes, and he's talking about strong men, and he's, he's breaking chains, and he's having them recognize that chains are broken. And, and, and what he's saying to them is this. Look, you, you have a, a perception and a belief that I'm tearing down right now. But here's what's going to happen, people. When I tear this thing down, this, this perception and this thought, let's call them demons, these demons are going to leave. They're going to go away for a little while. And, and you as an individual, what you're going to do is you're going to sweep the house. There's two things mentioned here. 
swept and garnished. You're going to sweep the house, and then you're going to garnish the home. I looked into this word garnish. You know what it means, right? You ever put garnish on a plate? You ever, you ever cook something, you put a little bit of garnish on there? The garnish is not necessarily meant to be eaten. What's it meant to do? It's meant to make the plate look pretty, right? That's exactly what this word means. You look at it in every context that it's spoken of in Scripture. It's spoken of in, in forms of makeup. It talks about women putting adorning themselves, the same word, adorn. Uh, it's talking about putting accoutrements, accoutrements on the walls to make it look pretty, but they have no purpose. They're, there's not there for structure. What happens is, he says, you're, these demons are going to go away, and you're going to sweep it clean, and then you're going to put ornaments on the walls. You're going to make it look staged. And he says, when you do that, these things are going to come in, and they're going to come in sevenfold, and they're going to tear down and take over your house. Why? Because you did it wrong. Because you didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your home. That's what these people were lacking. The comforter, the anointing, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And I, I submit to you today that this is exactly what we, even, even in our state of pneumaticos spirituality, this is exactly what we need in order to make sure that we are following the will and the plan of God, that we're not adorning, garnishing our spirituality, that we are fully vested, that we are, we are in purpose and on track to do what God has called us to do. That was the call this morning as, as Monica was talking. I told you I felt like she was going to preach my sermon. So good. But, but as, as she's talking about it, how, how intercession, she said something about intercession and commune, and then I forgot what else she said, but I put, is the lifeblood of our relationship. Intercession and commune is what we need. We need to be interceding. We need to be communing. communing. Let the word of Christ, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I, I have been on a deep dive of scripture these past few months. Um, beginning with Sunday school four months ago, maybe it was six months ago? I forgot what it is. October, you're right, thank you. So several months ago, I was started this deep dive, and even before then I was looking into it, but I started this deep dive of Scripture, and, and it has opened my eyes to what, what really is, I believe, an understanding of, of what he wants us to know through the Word. But I have to pair that with, with, with the dwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And it cannot be, and, and here's where I think very many people go wrong, scholars go wrong, it cannot be one or the other. It has to be both. Where Jesus was fully human and fully divine, fully human and fully divine, we have to be both deep diving into Scripture and deep diving into the intercession and commune with the Father. That is our calling, and it cannot be one or the other. As great as it is to intercede and to pray, we, what you get from that when you don't have the, the Scripture portion is you get these people that start to believe crazy things. And we have seen this. We have seen people that are so spiritually minded that they don't understand the foundation of what they should be staying away from. It is very easy for us, for anybody, not, not just us, but for anybody to get to a place where they're hearing, 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 and all of a sudden their hearing starts to veer off, but because they have no foundation, they follow that path. We cannot be that. We cannot be that. And then the opposite is also true. So much diving and diving and diving into the language and the word and the scripture, but there's no spiritual foundation. So everything becomes what? A ritual. It becomes high church. It becomes this thing that you have to do, and then it becomes the law. You remember those people? The Pharisees, the Sadducees? It becomes law, and there is no spirit involved with it whatsoever. Hey, you're eating corn on the Sabbath. 
You can't do that. You can't heal that man on the Sabbath. Well, why not? If Hey, look, if you lost a sheep, you'd go find it, wouldn't you? If it fell into a hole, get some guys together, build a little ladder and get the sheep out. No, 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 no. The Bible clearly says you cannot do these things on the Sabbath. Do you see what I'm saying? We have to have both. Both. I feel like we do a great job in this church of doing that. But it doesn't end. And there's so much more. I, look, this, this isn't over. I hope you know that, right? We, we started out... Um, as, as an Assemblies of God church, and, and I, I, I bless them, I still feel very Assemblies-ish when I think about, the, when I watch that video and what they believe. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's us. We're still kind of that. We're Pentecostal. And whether we're Assemblies or not doesn't matter. We believe in the Spirit. We believe in Pentecost. But, but then we coined this term several years ago. We don't really use it because it's, it's just a term. We, we coined pneumonocostal, Right? We, we, we didn't coin pneumaticos. We coined maybe pneumaticostol. But it was this idea that, look, it's not just, it's not just Pentecost. It's the fullness of the Spirit. That's, that's what we believe, the fullness of the Spirit. And there's so much to the Spirit. And he's not done. We've moved from, from pneumaticostol into this realm of diverse tongues. Very, very few churches out there. Um, outside of our network believe in this kind of thing or, or follow it. The, the dreams and the visions, the, the, there's, there's churches that believe in, in healing and, and maybe miracles, but not the, the fullness of everything that has to do with that. I, and I'm, look, I'm not saying that we're better than everybody out there. What I'm trying to tell you is, look where we came from, look where you are right now, and look where God wants you to be because it's not over. This is not the be-all, end-all. There's so much more. And it's through you being dwelled with the Spirit, where the Spirit is living inside of you. It's not just comforting you. It's not just anointing you, but it is in you, and it is coming out from you. That's what God wants. And it comes through Bible study, and it comes through intercession, and that's where we all need to be living. Father, I pray that you will fill us with your Holy Ghost. I pray that you will use the people in this church to reach hundreds, thousands, millions through your spirit. Father, help us to be the people that you have called us to be. Help us to, to have our light shine. But, but most importantly, Lord, help us to hear your voice and to, when we're in those situations to be able to speak your words, to prophesy. And when we're in those situations where we are Feeling, feeling lack. Lord, comfort us because we have your spirit. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Um, there's more. Be ready. There's more. Amen. Have a great afternoon.